Tennis, anyone? Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, theology, anyone? Everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is Podcast 075, Podcast 75, where we have a biblical conversation about the crazy world in which we live. So join us over the next 20 minutes or so as we provide you a bird's eye view perspective of a complex issue confronting you, the culture, and the church as we use God's Word to make sense of it all. And at the end of the podcast, we'll point you to additional resources just in case you'd like to dig a little bit deeper. In the meantime, let's get started. All right, Keith. So this seems like a little bit of a departure from where we've been talking about these institutions and our government and the corruption and kind of all those things. And now we're just going to completely turn towards theology. Uh, What's going on with that? Well, it's like this. The basis for our worldview is our theology. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to discuss one of the most misunderstood and most important matters in today's church, and that is theology. Okay, so you want to talk about theology, and I think maybe a lot of our listeners um, and just people out there are going to be like, this topic seems pretty dry and probably not something that uh, they think about on a regular basis. They figure that's, you know, your job and my job to think about theology and to do those things. Um, or, you know, it's something for Bible college students, seminarians, um, or just in general theologians, and not really something that's for them just as the person who comes to church, sits in the pew, listens to the teaching. I, I imagine they don't, they don't think that theology is really something that they should be considering in everything. Well, the, the reality is, is that the person who sits in the pew every Sunday, whether it's a Bible college student or a seminary professor or a, a theologian or just plain old mom and dad, they're all theologians. What do you mean by they're all theologians? Like even the mom or dad, the, the, the maybe the college student who's studying communications at college, uh, you're, you're saying that those are theologians as well? Including the seventh graders, as amazing as that might seem. I know that <laughs> student know. ministries, you know. I know a few th- seventh graders that I wouldn't think are theologians. Yeah, well, d- d- to be serious, every Christian is a theologian. And so the question is, what kind of theologian are they? What kind of theologian are you? What kind of theologian am I? All right, why don't you explain that? What kind of theologian should we be? Well, here's the thing. See, we look at theology. We, we're in an age where we're dumbing down the language and dumbing down things, and we forget what theology is. You know, there's two words, uh, theos, theos, or theu, depending on how you decline or parse the Greek, and logia or logos. And, and what it is, is theology is the study of God and the things of God, and it shouldn't be boring or dry or academic. And not to be flippant, but it's almost Valentine's Day, right? And many of us spend time looking for just the right card for that that special person in our life. And to understand what kind of card we should get them or what kind of things appeal to them or what type of chocolate or gift or whatever it is, you have to study them. You have to know them. Uh, And you know what? Who should we love more than God? No one. We should love God more, Jesus more than anybody else. And and so in theology, you know, your decisions, your witness, your testimony is like your Valentine card in a manner of speaking to God. And so it's, it's how we show our love for him 
by getting to know him. And just as we want that special loved one to feel loved and not displease them by knowing and getting them the right kind of card, we want to know God and please God and make him feel loved, for lack of a better descriptive term, by knowing how to say, think, and live in just the right ways. And that brings us to the study of theology, which is everyone's responsibility and calling. Okay, so I know you kind of started it um, there at the beginning, but what is theology exactly then? Why don't you explain a little bit more on what that is? Well, there's a verb, theologeo, and that has to do with speaking about God. There's a noun, theologos, which is thinking or talking about God. And that's why all Christians should be theologians, because hopefully when you speak uh, to someone on the street or when you witness to somebody or when you manage conflict in the home or in the workplace, you're thinking about what do I need to say in this occasion to bring God pleasure, to please God. You're thinking and talking about God in some way. And so theology is living, thinking, studying about God. It's speaking about God. The word isn't originally a, a biblical term. It was used in secular Greek to talking or thinking about any God. But we have appropriated that word in a good way. And it is the study of God and the things of God and his relations to his creation. And so Christians are theologians who do things and talk about things and think about God. One Reformed theologian uh, says it this way, that theology includes the nature and definition of God, the innate idea of God, the arguments for his existence, his Trinitarian nature, his attributes, his decrees, his works of creation and providence and miracles, and how all of this relates to him and us. So basically, theology encompasses all we human beings can know, say, or think about God and what he does. And there are categories of theology or species of theology, too many for us to discuss today, but we will discuss them in upcoming podcasts. But most Christians today, when they think of theology, they think of either a biblical theology or a systematic theology, and both of these involve distilling a principle or category based upon what we read in God's book, the Bible. So while biblical theology is understanding the kinds of principles that arise in a particular book according to the theme of that book, uh, systematic theology is taking all the books of the Bible and saying, what does the whole Bible teach us today about any given topic as it relates to God in our existence? So you have biblical theology. You know, for instance, Romans is heavy on salvation. Uh, Isaiah, uh, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are all about judgment, and the last 27 are all about salvation. Uh, and so each book has themes. Genesis is about creation. We'll talk more about this in a minute. But basically, we develop a comprehensive view of God by studying the Bible. And each book reveals a different facet of how he is and who he is and what he does and how he thinks. And when we pull all this together from all these different books of the Bible and categorize it, that becomes doctrine. And it becomes each bucket, is like, each category is like a doctrine, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the word of God. Uh, and each bucket is organized in a way that we can wrap our minds around it. Okay, so for me, I think before I became a pastor, I was very much like, this is my Bible. This is all I need. And uh, after I became a pastor, and uh, I realized that there are just other books, systematic theology books, um, books about you know 
this idea of systematic theology and and really looking at the what the whole Bible has to say about these different topics. So what would you say to somebody who's maybe a little bit like me that that looks and says, oh, I have my Bible and this is all I need. This is my theology textbook. This is it. I, I don't need anything else. The systematic theology, I don't need that. I just need this Bible. Well, it's a common misunderstanding. And I understand because really everything begins and ends with the Bible, right? We can't know God apart from the Bible. Uh, and certainly and assuredly, we get our theology from the Bible, but the Bible is not a textbook on theology. It's not how it's designed or organized. It's like saying nature is a textbook on geology. Think of it this way. The Bible is not a system of theology any more than nature is a system of chemistry or mechanics. We find in nature the facts which a chemist has to examine and from those facts ascertain the laws of chemistry and how they function and those become doctrines or precepts or principles. Uh, and that becomes from uh, inductive study. That's looking at chemical properties and generalizing a principle and deriving that principle or doctrine. We do the same thing with the Bible. The Bible has books of poetry. It has books of wisdom like the Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. It has uh, epistles which teach us uh, particular things. It has the Gospels which in many cases function like narrative. And so the Bible contains truths which the theologian has to collect, arrange, and exhibit in relation to one another. This is the difference between, of course, biblical and systematic theology. Each book might have its own set of themes. There are themes that run through the whole of the Bible. Using biblical theology, we discern and record the facts of a particular book of the Bible, and then we look at the other books and see how those facts relate together and harmonize together. And so don't think of systematic theology as a book, but a way of organizing your thoughts as you read the Word of God. Well, we take the facts of the books of the Bible and connect the dots between them and determine how they relate to one another. One leads to another. Biblical theology leads to systematic theology. And the, the discipline or the practice of systemizing theology is important because this is how human beings think. You know, you look at your own home. You have a drawer for your socks. You have a place for your shirts. You have a place for your shoes. You organize things. You could just have them all in one pile, and you could still pull them out and sort them as you needed them. But let, let me, let's take the doctrine of salvation, soteriology, for example. We say salvation is by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Titus 3, 5, and 6. But Genesis 15, 6 says that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him or, or accounted to him as righteousness. And then you have, and that verse is later quoted in the book of Romans. And so we would say, let's talk about salvation, and we would pull verse references from all these different books, and we would try to distill a principle, you know, a generalization from all these individual books so that we could make a statement as we, about salvation or the doctrine of salvation, soteriology, so that we can teach it to others. Okay, I see what you're saying about how we reorganize and kind of um, have to kind of look at kind of the broader picture, but I guess the question really is, is why do we have to reorganize them into these buckets uh, or these really doctrinal categories that you talked about? Because it helps us think about God systematically. 
it helps us talk about God systematically. We uh, have the communicable attributes of God. We think, we feel emotions, we create. And so part of our makeup, you know, God is a God of order, of peace, not confusion. And I think he has wired in us this desire to organize our thoughts in a way that lends itself to serving him, to propagating the gospel. And again, you know, we get different perspectives about God from different books of the Bible, like Genesis or Isaiah or Revelation. Call these facts, then we organize them and interpret them and say, so what can we learn about God? You know, and Isaiah, you know, when Isaiah gets his commission and he sees God high and holy sitting on the throne beneath the cherubim, and he sees the glory of God and he's, he's terrified. In Revelation, John sees the glorified Christ and he falls down as a dead man. In Genesis, God says, let there be light. And I would have to say, all three of these say something about the glory of God. And so we take these vignettes or these examples from different books of the Bible, put them together almost like a mosaic so that we can see God, metaphorically speaking, more clearly. And as we alluded to earlier with Genesis 15, 6, you know, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 or, or Titus 3, 5 and 6, we learn something about salvation. It's through faith. Abraham was saved by faith before the law came, right? And in Ephesians, we hear it again. And in Titus, we hear it again. And in Romans, we hear it again. And so we, we get a more full three-dimensional understanding of a doctrine or a principle salvation by faith through grace. Now, those topics are all over the Bible. And so as we read through the Bible in a lifetime, we can organize them. And some people make a lifetime study, and that's why they write a systematic theology textbook, or that's why they you have statements of faith at your church. That's systematic theology. It's systematizing things so they can be more easily and readily understood. So back to the facts about God. One scholar writes this, As the facts of nature are all related and determined by physical laws, so the facts of the Bible are all related and determined by the nature of God and of his creatures. And as he wills that men should study his works and discover their wonderful organic relation and harmonious combination, so it is his will that we study his word and learn that, like the stars, its truths are not isolated points, but systems, cycles, and epicycles, and an unending harmony of grandeur. And that's a mouthful, but I think, I think if you take the time to think about what I just read, you know, you look up in the night and you see the stars, they're part of a constellation. And, you know, the Bible is books of the Bible that make up the constellation that is the New and the Old Testaments, and we derive our principles from there. Okay, yeah, I, I think you can see kind of where we're going as as we take apart um, all these parts of the Bible and we try to reorganize them to give us a clear picture of who God is and really systematize them um, so we can understand. And so is there anything else that you'd like to kind of add on that process or that, that topic of systematic theology? Yeah, just this. Our work in the study of God, theology, depends on how we approach the Bible and the Bible itself. You know, certainly we can deduce or figure out that we are not alone here, that we came from someone or something, because here we are, we think, therefore we are, so to speak. And we can look at the world and see that the sun rises and sets on schedule, that cells divide through mitosis or meiosis a certain way, uh, the tides come and go around the, cer the uh, cycles of the moon, all these kinds of things. And so we can deduce things about our existence. Well, that somebody 
or something had to make all of this. And so we collect those facts and we can make those deductions and conclude there might be a God. But we cannot know the God unless we read his word, which he inspired and transmitted and, and, and wrote down and, and preserved for us. And so we have to look into his word to learn about him. We do that inductively, you know, like what does the text say? What does the text mean? And what then shall we do? And so nature, natural revelation, provides us with insufficient detail, but God's Bible, special revelation, gives us all kinds of facts about God that we can organize to get a clearer picture of him and serve him and worship him. And part of that worship is an organized, intentional, thoughtful interpretation of those facts about God and the universe, which we call theology in general, and systematic theology in particular, derived and distilled from the Word of God. We read the whole Word and we organize a series of facts into categories so that we can think about God more clearly. All right, so I know we're running out of time, but I really like the fact that as we break this down, it is pretty clear that most of us are theologians, and the fact that you know we do think about God and we try to get a clear picture, and we do use other verses and uh, we we take parts of the Bible and we organize them in order to understand what we believe. And I'm not sure we have much time to go much deeper than that today. Uh, would you like to maybe wrap it all up for us? Well, since it, it's getting close to Valentine's Day and I don't work for a greeting card company or a chocolate company or anything like that, but let's talk about it. Let's think about it this way, theology. You met your wife, and I'm sure you undertook to, to learn her, right, to understand her better, to love her better. And so you learned her behaviors, her hopes, her dreams, her aspirations, her strengths. How did you do that? You studied her and you saw her in different circumstances and situations and you organized your perceptions and her responses to certain situations and circumstances in a way that you could keep track of these things because you loved her and you wanted to know her better and serve her. That's what theology is. In a similar fashion, we generalize principles about God and his creation in order to categorize them so that we can apply them that, and so that we can worship God. That's what serving God is all about, doing theology. And, you know, we're going to be talking about this by asking questions. We're going to be looking at these categories expressed as questions. You know, you, know, you think of the doctrine of the word of God. What belongs in the Bible and what does not belong? That's one question we'll ask and answer. How do we know the Bible is God's word? Are there any errors in the Bible? Or when it comes to God, the doctrine of God, how do we know that God exists? Can we really know God? How much of God can we know? If God controls all things, how can our actions re have real meaning? And that talks about the, you know, the uh, sovereignty of God and the doctrine of man. Why did God create humanity? How did God make us like himself? How can we please him every day in everyday living? Why did God create two sexes or two genders? Can men and women be equal and yet have different roles in life? What does the scripture mean by soul and spirit? Now, I'm pulling some of these questions out of Wayne Grudem's excellent systematic theology and, of course, John MacArthur and Dick Mayhew's uh, systematic theology. But these are the questions that we can ask and answer when we organize the principles of the Word of God into digestible buckets. And so I, I hope now that you, do, you see and sense a little more clearly why systematic theology, why the systematic study of God is so important. All right. Wow. That's a lot of ground to cover. And it seems like it's going to take us quite a few weeks to do that. But, uh, but one of the things that I've heard said 
is that too much theology is a bad thing and it creates a sterile or theoretical or maybe abstract view of God. You know, just all people are about is just knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Uh, and what would you say to those? I would say that that might be true of a non-Christian or a Christian who is immature. Again, as I mentioned earlier, there are those who lack a clear understanding of theology. And certainly a non-Christian could study theology in a cold, sterile manner because they don't know God, they don't love God, and their motivation is different than ours. But for the thoughtful and informed Christian, loving God, serving God more intelligently would be or should be an exciting prospect. And, it's, and ignorance is not bliss in those situations. Admittedly, there are some, and for some people, there's a danger of knowing all the facts but not knowing God or not interpreting and applying the facts. There are people who study theology and they become puffed up with knowledge because they don't complete the circuit. They don't connect the dots or seek to thoughtfully implement and apply them in their lives. And their witness shows that they are almost like Pharisees and they they often know a lot about God, but they lead ungodly lives. And that's why we read things like this in 1 Timothy 4, 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Or 1 Timothy 6, 3, a warning about bad doctrine and good doctrine. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching or doctrine that accords with godliness... Or Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Doctrine and theology are teachings. And as we see in God's word, the teachings of God, the teachings of God's word, Joshua 1.8, understanding the connection between the teachings and the application assures that we live lives that are spiritually successful, that we would live lives that show that we're careful to do what God's Word says because we have more of a comprehensive understanding of God's Word. Again, doctrine and theology are teachings. They are important. It's important to distill and discern them from the Word of God, as Joshua 1.8 says. And I think that's why David prays in Psalm 119, O Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Theology is the study and understanding of God and his universe through the study of God's word. And that is a very important undertaking indeed. Well, that's it for today. Uh, I want to encourage you all, if you haven't hit the subscribe button on this podcast, do it so it downloads automatically. If you'd like further resources on today's topics, you can go to our resource page at www.gracetoliveradio.org and click the podcast resource button like to ask me a question, you can email me that question at keith at hillside.org. Be sure and watch us online this weekend because we're doing a question and answer in all three services. You might enjoy that. In the meantime, if you want to know more about Hillside Church, go to www.hillside.org or you can join us on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, 9.30 and 11. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler saying God bless you and God keep you.